0: That's a big, big danger with this. You just can't predict where your data is going to end up in the future or how it might be used against you. And the more data that is collected on you and the more it's aggregated, the more compounded that danger becomes.
1: This is Lock and Code, a Malwarebytes podcast. I'm your host. David Reese. It's been about seven months since we last brought on some of my colleagues from Malwarebytes Labs, our news driven blog that covers cybersecurity, online privacy, hacking, scams, uh, all the good stuff. We are bringing them back on today because quite a lot has happened in the past seven months around the topic of data privacy, and we think it's time for a temperature check. As a reminder, here are some of the things we talked about on this show around data privacy just this year. Two weeks ago, we spoke about the impact to millions of people's data privacy in the United States after the Supreme Court overturned its decisions in Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey, effectively removing the right to choose to an abortion and paving the way for individual states to potentially criminalize abortion, thus making the information, the data that could reveal an abortion quite valuable to law enforcement. In May, we learned about how hard it is to actually obtain your data from a company, even if you live in a state where you have that explicit right. And we learned that companies can collect and store data about you, even if you're not a customer or a user of their service. Separately, we spoke about the difficulties of removing yourself from the Google ecosystem, which is built and driven on your data. And we learned about a mental health nonprofit that had taken the chats of at-risk people and then fed that information to a customer support tool, which the nonprofit separately ran to raise money. And of course, finally though it's a little different than our usual understanding of data privacy, we took a deep dive into the powerful spyware tool Pegasus, which is used by governments around the world to digitally invade people's privacy without leaving a trace. All of this has us thinking as of late, can we please stop having so many fires to put out? Can we just get a win somewhere? And so, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today, whether we have lost the fight to meaningfully preserve data privacy. Once again, we are welcoming Mauerbytes Labs Editor-in-Chief Anna Braiding and Mauerbytes Labs writer Mark Stockley. Anna, Mark, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Good to be here. Hi, thanks for having us back.
1: Absolutely. Happy to have you back. Uh, Happy to have another... Just another one of those chats, as I like to say last time, um, and this time, right, the one big question here is, have we lost the fight to meaningfully preserve data privacy?
0: Yes. Yeah, yes, we have. Is that, <laughs> <laughs> is, is that the end of the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Shortest episode of Lock and Code ever.
2: <laughs> I don't know. Do you think we have completely, or do you think, like, what happens with future generations? I feel like for us, Absolutely. I think it's all gone but it does feel like in the last I don't know year seven months since we last talked things are turning around like there are it feels like there are more kickbacks against sort of tracking and stuff and so I don't know what about future generations is it gone for us all
1: are you saying that like in the future things get better gosh that's a rough like <laughs> I
2: don't can hear know hear the doubt in my voice <laughs> I don't know maybe not
0: are we in the dip or can
2: we see is the dip
0: below us and we're looking down into the valley
2: yeah like this is all brand new isn't it relatively speaking it's all brand new so we do as you know we things sometimes get worse and then they get better and so i don't know you've got to be hopeful maybe like you know with the browsers taking out like they're they're stopping or like firefox i think brave does it they they do the url stripping so you can't the 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 tracking is stopped and apple brought in that Thing on the iPhone I don't know if they do it on the, on Android as well where it you have to explicitly say yes if you are okay with apps tracking you outside of the app being like front and center of your screen so I don't know there are some pushbacks but maybe just not enough
0: yeah the app, the app stuff I thought was really good and I, I love Firefox as an example because I, I for me that's a great sort of microcosm of the big picture like when the new technology comes along there's always a gold rush. And what happens is security and privacy and all the things like that, they get left behind because it's, it's, you know, first mover wins, first person to become Facebook wins. And if you look at what Firefox has been doing, so a few years ago they stopped allowing access to your battery level. So there there was an API Uh, within the browser, so within all browsers, that allows you to find out with incredible precision – what your battery charge level is and it was so precise you could actually use it as a fingerprint signal so you could tell from the chargedness of someone's battery whether or not it was the same person you know this feature was put in with all good intention but they realized that absolutely nobody was using it for the intended purpose which was okay if your battery is really low maybe the website sort of downgrades to something that takes less power And actually the only people, the only use case for it was that people were using it for tracking. And so they turned it into a very blunt tool and now it just tells you roughly what level of charge you've got. And that's a fantastic, that's like, yeah, they're paying attention. They did a great thing. Meanwhile, you know, the W3C has invented another hundred different APIs that you can use for tracking and people are finding all different ways of abusing those or abusing existing features. So, you know, people are trying to do the right thing, but it's very difficult to see how they can ever keep up with this enormous weight of other people that's trying not to do the right thing, trying to find ways to track us.
1: You were mentioning that like there are some companies, right, like there's good happening. And you said, you know, you like what Firefox is doing, you like what Apple's doing with these apps. But at the same time, Mark, you said that you're like, no, we've already lost the fight. Is (laughs) are you (laughs) is it like you don't think that these companies are enough to change the system we have right now like it's like okay well we've got that one company doing it we've got those five those ten but it's never going to be like more than that
0: yeah i I think it's a situation i mean obviously part of it's just my natural sunny disposition um but (laughs) i i I think if you look at the way the incentives line up i think i think it's much harder to be a company that cares about privacy than it is to be a company that doesn't care about privacy You know, if you just want to operate normally and do the things that everybody else does and you want to run Google Ads uh, and you want to know who's coming to your website and you want to capture their email addresses, you don't have to do very much before you're capturing a whole bunch of data on on somebody. Long before you decide you're actually sort of aggressively going to go after fingerprinting people or making decisions that actually circumvent people's decisions not to be tracked
2: but i think it's becoming like a one-upmanship at the moment isn't it because if you take the firefox example facebook have now started encoding their urls so you they can't now be stripped out because if they're stripped out then the url goes nowhere so then firefox has now got to find a way to get around that and is it just going to be one-upmanship like forever and ever i feel like five years ago people just maybe 10 years ago people just weren't questioning stuff like if you think about when facebook came out, like maybe even before Instagram, people were just plastering anything on there because they just didn't think about the implications. And it is different now. It feels different. Even though I am speaking from the position of someone working in Infosec, it does feel like there is slight movement towards generally people wanting more privacy online.
0: So I've got a question for you two, actually, if you don't mind, David.
1: I mind so much. <laughs> Me too. Well,
0: it's your podcast. I, I, it, I think... <laughs> Now's your opportunity to stamp your authority on this point.
2: <laughs> I make the questions, my, all right? This is my We podcast. don't allow
1: questions to yeah. host.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, what's the question? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Going back to this idea of have we lost the battle, I think it's an ongoing thing, right? So, so even if we've lost it right now, there'll be new companies finding new ways to violate our privacy in future. Uh, there'll be new generations and so on and so on. So it's it's worth carrying on the fight. What have you seen that's made a difference? You know, we can say that the tide is flowing in a particular direction, but I think there are examples of people doing the right thing or companies doing the right thing or legislators doing the right thing. What, what have you seen that you think actually makes a difference, a positive difference in terms of reclaiming some privacy?
1: Yeah, that's great. So off the top of my head, I'm immediately going to the boring answer here, right, which is like GDPR like the general data protection regulation yeah. over, yeah. Uh, you know, where we all live. And that had like a huge impact, honestly, Um, because for no more boring reason or exciting reason, however you want to phrase it, than the fact that like the UK and the EU are huge centers of business and to do business in that region, companies had to comply. Like yeah. that's it. There was a financial yeah. incentive. It wasn't like wow, these companies really care about data privacy. Or now, you know, suddenly the, the theory of change here is that suddenly all these CEOs woke up and they're like, you know, I love privacy. It was like, no, I love money and I can't <laughs> not make money. So the same
0: dream every night. It's the same dream. <laughs> they wake up in the morning. <laughs> yep, I still love money.
1: <laughs> Look at that. It hasn't changed too much. Yep. But this is this is now in the way of that. And so... We saw a lot of countries actually following in the footsteps of that legislation. They thought, okay, this is a, a good thing. The model is already out there; we don't have to rewrite anything completely new. We had it in California. You know, we had the California Consumer Privacy Act, which I believe is either now or was first the California Privacy Rights Act. Um, it's like different acronyms; it got amended. But anyways, it's it's based on GDPR, mm-hmm. and that. You know, sailed through, and we saw other individual states in our country passing like targeted laws. Maine has this really good one about ISPs not being able to use your browsing data for advertising. Um, little, <laughs> little itty bitty <laughs> things like that. It's
0: just so weird that a state had to bring in a law about that.
1: <laughs> yeah. I feel the same way. It's a little weird that we had to do that. And it's like the only one that has it specifically. So that, I think, like, there's the legal angle. There's the legislative angle. Like, okay, yeah. that's progress. Yeah. That's a good substantive thing that you can hang your hat on. After that, I think privacy, this is a little more nebulous, but I think, like Anna was saying, there's a, there's a mood shift. I think privacy is cool now. Yeah. Like, using Signal, uh, using WhatsApp, yeah. using iMessage is cool it's cool to feel like someone's not going to read your messages, you know. Like it's just a, it's like a neat feeling, and
0: <laughs> that's that's how the users of the Anom phone felt.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, famously, the phone that was built by the FBI to track crime. Yes, which is yes. I mean, they they nailed it, you know. Um, but I just kind of go back to like, you know, a few years ago. I think it was interesting. This is like a real-life example. A few years ago, I had to convince my friends that they should get on Signal yeah. for things. And now Signal is almost the default with some of my friends. And then oh, really? I had a new thread like that was started with, I'm going to a bachelor party slash bachelorette party later this year. And the default actually was to use WhatsApp. And mm. I thought... That was cool. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is good. Now, do I know whether or not that's because of privacy reasons? I don't actually think that's what it is. But when the default is providing end-to-end encryption, I think that's also a good thing. So, again, a couple of years ago, I had to convince folks. And now it's, no, that's, that's kind of standard.
2: Yeah. The thing that annoys me about Signal is that as soon as anyone signs up for Signal, absolutely anyone that has them in their contact list gets a ping that says, Yeah, I don't like that. David is now on Signal. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. It seems like counterintuitive. Yeah. Um, in terms of awareness, um, I think Roe v. Wade has done such a huge amount in terms of like just people being aware of what their, like, what data is on their device in terms of like the period tracking apps, you know, anything that that law enforcement could get access to. I've seen so many articles about like these are all the things that, that law enforcement can get to from on your phone. And I just don't think people realised about that. So like, aside from the actual ruling, I just think it's just raised awareness of data privacy in general.
1: Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think we've seen more nuanced conversations following the overturning of Roe v. Wade than we had before. And I think it's two things. I think they're more nuanced in that there's a better understanding of like, these are the things on your phone that could reveal your pregnancy choices. And number two, I think it's also so much more concrete. I think, and this is part of also like, I share some pessimism about like, the data privacy fight. But I think when you start talking about the machinery of browsers collecting your information and cookies collecting your information, and then that information is being like bundled into profiles, and those profiles are purchased (laughs) to target ads to them by other companies who work with like these middlemen of data brokers, like already there's so many things in there that do not happen in, like, a real-life analog that I think people just, the eyes glaze over. It's like, I can't care about this company targeting me because I am in this age bracket, in this zip code, and I bought this most recently, and I've expressed these views on Twitter. I don't think it's easy to conceptualize why that can be an invasion of data privacy, whereas I do think everyone kind of understands, like, really quickly, you know, like, looking into your phone to find out whether or not you've had an abortion or have it spoken like curiously about abortion i think people are like that's a thing that i do and i write about and i think it and i say it i think that's much more concrete as all
2: yeah completely i remember having a conversation with a marketer at another company i was at and i was it was an infosec company and i was explaining why I didn't think it was good to add extra trackers to our website because our security conscious audience like, were really, really, really against that more than normal people were against it. like, They were really, really against it. And he was like, but I just don't understand. Like, Why don't people want to see ads that are targeted specifically at them? Like, He just couldn't get his head around it.
0: But this, is, this goes back to what I was saying earlier about the incentives. I mean, there's a very, very strong incentive for that person not to want to see it a certain way.
2: Yeah, yeah, of course. You
0: know, in in a very in a very real sense, their career probably rests on them not seeing things a certain way. I mean, it may be that they they genuinely believe it, but they've got a bit of a hill hill to climb if they want to progress in marketing. All the tools that they're going to want to make use of are all, to a greater or lesser degree, going to be fracturing someone's privacy, either with their consent or without their consent. I think the whole idea of consent is kind of what David was talking about, was that it's so hard for people to conceptualise how their data might be used and what aggregating their data might lead to. I can't see how anyone is really in a position to offer informed consent about the information that they give up. Um, But I wanted to talk about GDPR because you mentioned it, David. I've heard GDPR getting a bad press and it astounds me because I was working for a company in the UK when GDPR came in and for the sort of year and a half before it came in. And I have never seen anything like it. It is the single most transformative event in terms of privacy that I have seen in my whole life. And I saw it inside a big company. I, you know, I remember talking to the CISO and I, was, I said, what are you doing to prepare for GDPR? And he said, I'm deleting data. I'm trying to figure out what data we've got and what data we're going to delete. And we're going to delete as much of it as we can. Everyone that was on our mailing lists, you know, the marketing email lists were gold dust. And every one of those people had to be emailed to be asked if they wanted to stay on the mailing list. And there were so many things happening kind of under the water, sort of under the surface that might not be obvious. In order to prepare for it, people took it really seriously. And at the same time, I was a member of a voluntary group, which had, let's say, 15 members And it was also having a conversation with itself about its mailing list of, I think, 40 people and about what we were allowed to email. Like, what have they signed up for? And therefore, what kind of emails were we allowed to send them? Like, some people had signed up to hear about volunteering opportunities and some people had signed up to hear about news. And we decided we couldn't mix those two up. You couldn't send volunteering opportunities to the people who'd signed up for news. And that's a measure of how seriously people took it because obviously they were seeing it in their own workplaces.
2: And it reached everyone. So i I um, I'll keep this quiet, but Infosec is not something I necessarily talk about in my spare time. But all my... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know it's a surprise. <laughs> don't judge me i have other things to talk about um but i do have a lot of friends that are that are in marketing or work for small businesses and they were we were all talking about it like in our spare time like how are you going to handle gdpr just because it was like such a big thing
1: i wanted to get back to anna something you were saying about you know you were working with that with that fellow who was like i don't believe it like why don't people want targeted ads and can we talk about targeted ads for a little bit? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Let's do it.
0: This to me is the great mystery of the whole privacy debate. So I keep hearing that Google is hoovering up all my data. And yeah, there are websites, there are, there are Google-owned websites where I can go and I can see the data that Google has collected on me. And it knows a great deal about me. And there's a bunch of other companies that do the same thing. And for some reason, they want me to buy the most awful things. And the most <laughs> the, the the most unrelated stuff. Like I cannot for the life of me match up all are the you things sure? that, that these companies what have you know been about. Googling?
2: <laughs> all, the, all the things these sure, companies you Sure, no, you're know. not into that mark. Oh, Alright. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not in my history.
1: Up, I swear I never yeah, I never yeah. looked at this. I, what are you talking about? <laughs>
0: How, how did this come under my screen? <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, it seems to me, it seems to be as dumb as, oh, I see you visited a website for gardening equipment. I'm just going to show you adverts for gardening equipment forever now. You know, or, or I see you visited your own employer's website. Oh, yeah. I will now continue to show you adverts for things that you're not going to buy because you get them for free from the person you work for. <laughs> and like just the level of dumbness versus the amount of data collection, just I cannot I cannot reconcile those two things. Like somebody's been sold down the river here.
2: But also it is very, very good, isn't it? Because the amount of people that say, I spoke about Rusks. I don't right. know how you say example. Um I spoke about... <laughs>
0: this is people in inverted commas, by the way. People. <laughs> the amount so, of people yeah. who say this.
2: <laughs> yeah people say i spoke about gardening shoes mark and i spoke about it in front and my phone was off but then i went on instagram and it served me an advert for gardening shoes so it must i be was listening in the middle of a forest and there was no one around <laughs> exactly and the next thing i know Google yeah.
1: heard me. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, the targeting has to be good enough, like you said, whereas this, there is this myth out there that people believe that if they speak something out loud, verbally, that their phone is listening to them, and therefore that is what's being used to serve them ads for X, Y, or Z. And, like, a lot of research has gone into this. It is not true. Like, it's not that that is happening. It's what's happening is that all of the other systems that are in place to track what you do have come to the conclusion that you will be talking about those things like that that's a thing that it's it's come to the conclusion that that's a thing you want it's actually guessed it already it just happens to be that you fulfilled the algorithm's wish like you you said yeah now I'll talk about it out loud like it's terrifying in its own way but it is weird there's two sides of the coin i think one of the things that people do mention quite a bit is that why is it you know you get an ad for this thing that you want and when you buy it you still get ads for it afterwards it's like shouldn't there be something in there that says like i don't i don't need this anymore i bought it why am i still getting ads for it and it's bizarre like it's very bizarre
0: i do wonder if let's imagine a world where we are in the dip and the death of privacy invasion is on the cards and I wonder if it will come down to the money. Like you say, the CEO wakes up in the morning and he's like, I still care about money. And and I am actually deeply sceptical about how effective these things really are. Because they are something that everybody has sort of, so when I say these things, I mean like the sort of targeted advertising you're talking about. Because people have adopted them wholesale and it's very difficult to find a company that's not doing it. I'm not sure what the differentiator is, and particularly for small companies. So it's something I noticed in the last decade was I was uh, working with small companies and the margins or the the sort of margin of success for them using online advertising just got narrower and narrower and narrower because the whole thing works on as a bidding war. Naturally, over time, the prices percolate up so that it just about works for you. You know, and the most successful companies will maybe make it work, but lots and lots of people can't quite afford it, can't quite afford to make it work. And I, I do wonder if if at some point we will turn around and go, actually, we're spending a lot of money invading people's privacy and we are paying for the ability to measure something which would be there anyway, even if we didn't measure it quite so closely.
2: Yeah, but there's a there's a whole industry around that there's a lot of people in jobs doing that so there's there's got there'll have to be something for them to do
0: yeah sorry sorry folks if that's
2: (laughs) if that's what you (laughs) do it's the price worth paying (laughs) (laughs)
1: we have sacrificed you yep to the blood god
2: plant some seeds don't you think it won't stop until there's an alternative for marketers
1: yeah 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 i think that's i mean and i also don't know what that alternative looks like you know like we see companies that are pro-privacy. We see companies like DuckDuckGo, right? Which are like, we're not going to track your searches. And we see companies like Signal, which are like, <laughs> but, we're not going to... But well, even,
0: <laughs> even DuckDuckGo, if you click on one of the ads on DuckDuckGo, you are in the Bing ecosystem. So so we're not going to track you, right? Well, you're completely safe. But in order for us to actually exist, we need you to click on this ad. <laughs> and if you click on this ad, you're going to get dunked in the Microsoft Bing ad ecosystem. So I I kind of don't understand that like in, in uh, Firefox like I love Firefox Firefox is almost completely paid for by Google because of the like the default search on Firefox is Google and Google pays them like eight hundred million dollars or something for for the benefit of being the default search and there's a reason that Google pays that much money. So even these even some of these pro privacy companies are beholden to less pro privacy companies if you like I think I mean that's a measure of how how difficult this has all become. I think, you know, and it's uh, things like Signal, which are probably as close as you can get to a genuinely pro-privacy organization. How is it going to sustain itself? How is it going to, how does it exist if it's got 10 times as many users?
1: It got $50 million from WhatsApp's founder, -founder, co-founder, who's now their interim CEO.
0: Because Signal is actually what he wanted for WhatsApp.
1: Yeah, yeah. but you know, and then he sold it pretty to Facebook.
0: And yeah. he's like, oh. Whoops. He's like, whoops.
1: Turns whoops. out
0: Facebook are uh, the company we all knew they
1: were. Yeah, he's like, turns out my <laughs> hunches, our hunches were correct. <laughs> it just took like a couple of years to like verify those things. <laughs> I think that um, until we have that alternative, right, we're not going to see it. Because like a lot of things that were said here, right, the incentives are too great. They're just, it's easier to make money this way, to track people, than it is to not implement these things, even if we're getting in a world of diminishing returns, right? Yeah, it's still easier to, to be like, well, you know, everyone else does it, and they're there, and they're already built up. <sighs> One of the things that upset me a lot, also about, we're still talking about targeted ads here. Um, I, <laughs> I hate that some people have fallen for it.
0: Have you bought something? Is this a confession?
1: <laughs> no, it's not even. I, I, uh, it's uh, thankfully it's not that. My goodness. Um, but I hate that some people have tricked themselves like people who don't work in this industry people have tricked themselves into being like i do like targeted ads like i do i do do like this and i think what bothers me so much about it is like i don't know when that happened i don't know when we decided that we liked advertisements people (laughs) like (laughs) for generations we have been like gosh, ads suck, like commercial suck. We- <laughs>
0: hang on a minute, hang on a minute. I, I, I don't live in the USA, but I have noticed that there's a bit of fuss about the Super Bowl every year.
1: So I was going to, That's that's kind of funny. That's the one thing I was going to say is like we, my interpretation of the Super Bowl is that the American public hated ads so much that a bunch of companies and advertisers got together and said, what if we had a holiday once a year and what we did is we made something that didn't suck. What if once a year we like put effort into it and that's how I feel about ads. I think that's how I thought the, the, the American country thought about ads was like, yeah, they all really suck. But once a year, you know, they like, they like hire a writer and then we can watch it cause it's enjoyable and it's funny And now, now we're like, I love ads. I love, I love scrolling through Instagram and I learned that I need luggage or I need, you know, (laughs) this thing. And I just don't, I have a little self-respect, okay?
2: (laughs) But if there's an acceptance of advertising in general, like we all grew up where we had to watch the adverts on when you're watching a television program you've got to sit through the adverts right most of them are completely irrelevant for you if you have an acceptance that there will be ads in your life and you're not concerned about privacy or you're not aware of the privacy implications and then instagram or whoever are serving you ads that are relevant to you then that of course that's preferential to like an advert that's completely irrelevant Uh, if you're not thinking about the privacy I, I guess
0: it's that, maybe. I, yeah, I, I think that the problem is when I was growing up, and there were, you know, two TV channels. And-
2: <laughs> In 1802, there were four TV
0: channels. Okay.
1: President Grover Cleveland. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that young buck Churchill had just had just become prime minister. There were four TV channels. And the price of the price of watching TV was three minute ad breaks or whatever they were. It's very obvious what you're paying. You know, the, the, the trade-off is very obvious.
2: Yeah. And yeah.
0: what worries me now is what I was saying earlier, which is I don't think it is possible. I don't think I know what I'm paying to see targeted ads. Mm. Because I think what Roe v. Wade, the recent podcast you did was brilliant, by the way, David. Thank you. If people haven't listened to it, go, go listen to the last podcast before this one. I think what that illustrated very powerfully was you may not even be in a position to understand the trade-off that you're making. Let's say you, you know exactly what data you're parting with. It's quite possible that the significance of that data will change over time. And that's what happened with the Roe v. Wade decision, is that people may well have been making perfectly sensible choices about the data they were prepared to pay with for certain features and facilities. And then overnight, the significance of that data that they were prepared to part with changed completely and how could you possibly have known two years ago if you decided to use a period tracking app what trade-off you would be making in two years time when the supreme court makes a decision that's a big big danger with this you just can't predict where your data is going to end up in the future or how it might be used against you and the more data that is collected on you and the more it's aggregated the more compounded that danger becomes. And I don't know how you ever legislate for that, unless you can get to a situation where capturing any data at all is seen as a bad thing and a price not worth paying.
2: Yeah, but then that's how do we live our modern lives? That's, that's not going to happen, is it?
0: Go in the garden, plant some <laughs> seeds. No. <laughs> <laughs>
2: build a tinfoil hat (laughs) there's nothing wrong
0: with my tinfoil hat build a bunker (laughs) so the 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 big shame of it all as well the, the thing i was i asked you the question earlier about what what do you think makes a big difference the thing that i think makes the biggest difference in terms of improving people's privacy has been shocking events big data breaches and i think actually this goes across security as well as privacy i don't think anything you can do decades of awareness trying to tell people you know your data is being used like this and this company takes this information and they sort absolutely nothing moves the needle like a massive scandal and the snowden revelations 10 years ago were exactly that you know there was there was a sort of a bubbling undercurrent at the time if you remember the web was almost entirely unencrypted like when you went and, when your browser went and fetched a web page it was almost certainly using an unencrypted connection unless you were at the point where you were typing in a password or you were at the point where you were typing in a credit card number but at all other times everything was unencrypted and the Snowden revelations one of the many effects of that was that it tipped that on its head. And suddenly, there was momentum behind this idea of actually let's encrypt everything by default. Let's make that the thing that we value, and it happened in internet terms almost overnight. And now we're at the point where the web is—you know—the the majority of web traffic is encrypted, and it's it's odd to see web traffic that's unencrypted. And I think Facebook as well. If you remember Facebook back in it was sort of 2009, 2010, they went through this period of changing everyone's settings arbitrarily oh yeah like they obviously realised that they couldn't make enough money because everybody had set up their preferences so that they weren't parting with any information so on a number of occasions Facebook overnight they just went oh we've just reset all your preferences we've created a new set of preferences we've reset them all if you still want your old preferences go back in and tick all the boxes again
2: I don't think they even told anyone did they like you just go in and you be like oh hold on my profile is public again I need to change that <laughs> I'm sure it never used to be.
0: I think that caused an explosion in interest in this idea of kind of hardening your Facebook profile. It didn't push people to the point of leaving Facebook, but it was definitely the wake up call because there was a sort of honeymoon period from 2006 to about 2010, where people just thought it was absolutely great. Apart from me.
2: It was absolutely great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I also think that time in Facebook's history also showed how, like, nascent the understanding of data privacy was. Because I remember, even back then, there were conversations about, like, because we knew this back then. We knew if you uploaded your photo to Facebook, that Facebook pretty much owned it. And I remember the conversations with my friends at the time were, okay, so what? We're like, what's Facebook going to do? Are they going to, like, use my photo on a billboard? Like, (laughs) why?
2: (laughs) I quite like that. I'd be famous. Right? We just...
1: We couldn't figure it out. Like we just literally couldn't imagine what was being used, you know, like what our information was being used for. We were like, our view was so narrow. I was like, well, I like photos because photos are cool, but why would Facebook like photos? You know? And then, you know, years later we find out that, you know, we're they're they're training a, you know, face recognition algorithm on everything that we input, and they are also just combing through everything we say it's not just our photos it's where we check in it's who we're friends with it's what our networks are and i remember in particular like when it really hit me as a person of like oh this is terrifying i was at a party with like people that i didn't know and facebook recommended that i friend people that i physically met at the party Uh, because (laughs) facebook would know It was like, oh, well, David isn't just like stuck somewhere like on his lonesome and he's like terrified or something like that. Like David is here with a bunch of people he knows and those people know these people and these people know those other people. And they're all in a one meter distance from one another, you know, and it was like, yeah, they probably met and they probably could be Facebook friends. And that's, I think, when it really hit me. This was like 2012, 2013, I think. And I was like, oh, this is terrible. This sucks. I absolutely hate this. This is, the, <laughs> this is the worst thing. This isn't my photo on a billboard, you know? Like, yeah.
0: Although your photo is on a billboard, by the
2: way.
0: I'm pretty sure that did happen.
1: <laughs> this guy uses Facebook. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just like we had trouble conceptualizing what was happening and i think people still have trouble with that yeah. today that's to me what the biggest like obstacle is with it but i totally understand also like how that goes hand in hand with like what you were saying mark like there need to be huge events for people to grasp what is happening uh, you know snowden's confirmations of nsa spying um uh, cambridge analytica was like a really big one oh, yes um, a couple of years yes. ago
0: but again, again, kind of weirdly, not enough to get people to, you know. I, I, I imagine them; they're all standing on a bridge, and like on a suspension bridge, and one by one, you know, the cables are doing that fantastic sort of that great movie noise they have when a cable unwinds. A high tension, like that sort of twang, and one by one, people are watching these cables sort of ping away. <laughs> Like the supports of the bridge are just giving away one by one and they're all still stood on the bridge going, no, it's one, one support is probably fine. <laughs> we, we can get by with three cables. I'm going to stay on the bridge. I like the bridge. My friends are on the bridge.
2: I feel like that's because the loss of their data or their privacy is not tangible. The things that they're on Facebook for are like photos of their friends and their kids and like groups. Like, you know, I want to join this, Mark, you want to be part of an eco club? And they're on Facebook and they're talking on Facebook, you know. When I became a parent, I was shocked by the amount of organisation and everything that was done on Facebook. Like, if you're not on Facebook, you are not part of like children's groups or like knowing when the next baby sensory class is, all that sort of thing. And so if you remove yourself from that, you're actually, you know, you're losing, you're losing something. And it's not the same as thinking I'm losing my data privacy because it's not tangible. It's not the same.
0: And I, I actually had to, because you, you know I am actually a member of like an eco club. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and and I, I had to, because I'm the sort of the least non-technical in the room, they said, well, what should we do to get the message out? And every single other small local voluntary group is on Facebook. And all the mums are on Facebook. And I had to say... Against every fibre of my being, I'm like, you need a Facebook account. (laughs) And then I was in the weird position of, they'd set up this Facebook account, but I couldn't help them with it because I absolutely refused to have my own personal Facebook account. So it's like, you set up a Facebook account because you need it, so I'm prepared to compromise your privacy. Like, the need is greater, but I'm not going to help because I'm not prepared to compromise my privacy because I'm not going to start a Facebook account over this. I've managed to wait, you know, 15 years.
1: We've talked a lot about terrible things, and it seems like we're kind of spiraling here, just admittedly. And so I think a way to pull us out of this spiral, though, because I think deep down, actually, all of us do take steps to preserve our privacy, you know, even in this, uh, even in in our long view of what could happen, we're still fighting the good fight every day. And so I wanted to ask both of you, what are things that you have personally done either to improve your own privacy or also the privacy of others that is, you know, equally important?
0: So I I think the thing that sort of has most meaning to me is I've got some children and there are no pictures of my children on the internet that I'm aware of. Certainly I have never posted any pictures of my kids. And I have an opportunity because they are in my house, to teach them about responsible use of computers. Obviously, they love computers and they love the iPad and all that stuff. And you know they love YouTube. But I have an opportunity to teach them about these things and to give them a decent start. So they are going to arrive at the age of 16 with a clean slate, if you like. And then they, they get to make decisions and hopefully they will make good decisions but they will actually have had some preparation and some training and they won't have a legacy of baggage that I have given them.
2: Yeah, my daughter goes to a nursery and they have a public Facebook group and anyone can look at it and anyone that looks at it knows the address of the nursery and she is absolutely not allowed her face on there i had to be the one that like ticks the box that says no do not so every time there's a picture of her on facebook she has like a big apple over her head or a big heart across her face i'm like oh there she is she's having a nice day (laughs) But the other thing that I haven't done that I've been very careful about doing with my kids is I, they, what I hate is that when people do birth announcements, they say, my baby was born. This is the full name of my baby. They were born at this time, at this date, at this hospital. And you're like, what are you doing? This is like, you've given away everything already. So my kids' birthdays are not online. They have never, like, their birthday celebrations are, like, have never been posted online. They don't have their date of birth anywhere. I mean, Facebook probably knows it anyway, but, you know, (laughs) I've tried.
1: Those are both really good. Those are both great, and they're against the tide of, I think, norms that we see today, where there are entire accounts based off of like families or accounts of, you know, parents and their children with like way too many followers. And I couldn't handle 10 people telling me about commenting on my day every single day. Like, I don't understand why you would invite 17 million, you know? Like, (laughs) shut it down.
0: you know the, the way they entered it like you could have the best day ever <laughs> there, there would still be a million people going, why didn't you do this
1: why didn't you do that go oh wow no hat for baby <laughs> welcome skin cancer you know like, <laughs> no i'm not i just wanted to invite myself into that anna mark i wanted to thank you again so much for taking time to speak about this today
2: thank you thanks for having us thank you for inviting us on
1: our listeners at home we'll talk to you again in two weeks until then stay tuned and stay safe and remember you can read all our cybersecurity coverage on malwarebytes labs at blog.malerbytes.com and please if you like what you heard today follow and review our show finally our intro music is by kevin mcleod from incompetech.com and our outro music is by woa from unminus.com today's show was edited by eric johnson from lightningpod.fm thank you folks